The information contained in this podcast is not intended as, and shall not be understood or construed as medical or health advice. The information contained in this podcast is not a substitute for medical or health advice from a professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. Nothing available in or through this podcast should be understood as a recommendation that you should not consult with a medical or health professional to address your particular information. Remember to subscribe to the Patrick Ely podcast on Spotify and Apple. Also check out the Patrick Ely channel on YouTube where I post workouts and educational content. You can support my efforts directly at patreon.com forward slash Patrick Ely. And the best way to get in touch with me is on Instagram at PBCN. My guest today is Dr. Ryan Brady, owner of Vior Life and Aesthetics, an integrative health and medical clinic in Miami, Florida. Vior's website is www.viorlife.com, and their contact info can be found in the show notes. Dr. Brady is an expert in hormones, nutrition, and physiology. He's one of only 300 doctors in the world trained in NUCA spinal care a graduate of the Functional Medicine University, and an active member of the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. In this episode, Dr. Brady talks with me about peptide therapies, which have been growing in popularity in the medical world over the last few years. I used to be on this forum pretty regularly called Longevity, um, a play on the longevity word. So just an online forum where uh, it, it started... It got bigger when nootropics started getting um, attention and people would be trying all different sorts of cocktails and they'd go on the forum and write their experience. Well, I don't go on that forum anymore, but I still like every week or so get a, like an email that's almost like a, a best of It's just some spam to try and get me to go back and interact on the, on the forum. But I started seeing, and I, I haven't, but I started seeing posts on there of people trying things that sounded like the names of spaceships and saying, I just got my hands on X, Y, or Z. Um, it was very expensive. Does anyone have, have experience using this and what were the results? And they're all, they're all different peptides. And I'm, I'm curious how you, you, learned about peptides initially and how they started being used for healthcare. Yeah. So my experience with peptides was probably about, let's say about six years ago when I was first exposed to it. And, you know, just for reference, I graduated just over seven and a half years ago. So it's pretty soon after I had graduated. Um, it came about from, the early days of my practice, Vior Life and Aesthetics, which is an integrated practice. And one of my colleagues was let me, talking about Let me peptides. pause you real quick. What does integrated practice mean? So yeah, integrated practice, is, that's a great question, is a practice that is multidisciplinary. So it could incorporate more natural medicine methods such as a doctor, a DMP, doctor naturopathic medicine, uh, chiropractic physical therapy with more Eastern or, or traditional medicine, such as a DO or an MD. So we all kind of work together uh, in a patient care centric model to get better outcomes if we, if we can, based and on then, what the patient desires. 
And the traditional model and something when I practice that I ran into all the time is no one talks to each other. Everyone, every discipline says this is the way to treat the patient and everyone else is wrong. And all of that is inherently wrong. So Dr. Brady's integrated practice is actually how healthcare should be. He, he's incorporating basically the, the knowledge that modern medicine has instead of just keeping it in one avenue and whatever is most appropriate or most holistic for a patient, they can actually receive within the practice. Exactly. It still has a lot of pitfalls, in my opinion, because unless you're a mega integrated clinic where you have multi, multiple subspecialties, such as endocrinology, internal medicine, cardiology, yes, you know, you're still referring out a lot of the time because it's not a primary care model. You know, it, it's most of the time it's without insurance. And when we require more advanced diagnostic testing or imaging, then we do have to refer to those subspecialties. And a lot of times we do get pushback with them because they're not familiar with that model and they're, they're more in tune with cookbook medicine. But, but anyways, that's how I was exposed to it. Okay. And yeah, so the first peptide that I heard of was Sermorellin. Have you heard of this? Yes. So Sermorellin at the time was a really hot topic. And I was like, hell, I want to try that. And I think I was 34 at the time. You know, I've always been into to fitness, looking at how I can get a competitive edge without taking, you know, an anabolic steroid. Yes. Uh, or growth hormone itself. And I did quite a lot of research into it and it seemed relatively safe. Um, so Sermorellin was, was really, really hot peptide. Um, but the drawback with that is that it also spiked cortisol and prolactin. So, so Sermorellin is something, it's a peptide and it is acting on growth hormone pathways. Right. So it's a specific okay. one. So basically meaning it stimulates your body's natural production of growth hormone through the pituitary gland, okay? Yes. So most of these are amino acid sequences, hence the name peptide or peptide hormone. So they're secretagogues, they stimulate your pituitary to release growth hormone, and then individual peptides can do different fragments of the growth hormone chain. So yes. for example, we may have some that code for more fat loss versus others that code for more musculoskeletal or tendon or ligament healing or repair. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. And that was the thing that okay. became most exciting to me when I would, uh, when I would talk to you about them in the past was the fact that there were things that could specialize in helping with, with certain areas of the body. So, so you were interested in Sermorellin. It did have some drawbacks you were saying. Yeah, it does have some drawbacks. So um, it mimics ghrelin, you know, the hunger hormone. Yes. Um, the, the new generation peptides do not stimulate hunger like sermorellin did. Um, sermorellin also stimulates cortisol. So if you know anything about cortisol, you do not want cortisol spiking um, from an injection of something that's supposed to help the growth hormone because then it's basically catabolizing your protein, your fat, and your carbs internal sources depleting those, right? So somewhat counterproductive. Right. Right. Um, personally with Cermoral, I also had allergic responses for, at the injection site. So I had severe itchiness, I, I had hives or urticaria, 
almost like a histamine reaction. Yeah, totally. Like I had to discontinue that peptide after about six weeks. Okay. You know, it does, that wasn't like a major side effect, but it was definitely reported. Um, so I think Sermalin itself started to, to wax and wane until you start to combine it with other things like GHRP2, GHRP6. And basically what that is, is a growth hormone releasing peptide in combination with Sermalin. Now, the advantage of this is that some of those did not elicit or instigate the hunger response. So it didn't make you hungry. Because think about it, you want to get lean muscle, you want to lose fat, but then you're hungry and you're eating like a pig. So, right. <laughs> you know, right. It's just like, really? Come on. You know, it doesn't make sense. Right. Fast forward to today, one of the most popular peptides that, that we use in our clinic is something called ipamorelin. Now, ipamorelin is combined with something called CJC-1295, again, sounding like a spaceship. Yes. And the benefit of this is that it does not increase cortisol per lactin, does not elicit that hunger response. So you're getting the benefits of fat loss, lean muscle gain, connective tissue repair, improved mental outlook, and a deeper REM sleep without the hunger. Interesting. Now, there are, I'm guessing there are clear advantages to using a peptide that is, for example, a secretoque, hopefully I'm saying that right, versus just injecting uh, like bioidentical growth hormone. Is that true? Yeah. So. Well, here, here's the thing is it's all about safety, right? At the end of the day, no matter what we do as healthcare providers, whether it's naturopathic or whether it's traditional medicine, we always want to keep the safety profile, whatever we recommend in the highest esteem. And we do not want to endanger patients. So one of the drawbacks of growth hormone itself is that you are bypassing your body's natural regulator because you're injecting the end product, right? Right. Versus, versus a secretagogue or a, a peptide hormone, it's a stimulator. So it's, an, it, it, as it, it's exogenous, you're injecting it, but then stimulating endogenous growth hormone release from your own brain's pituitary. So you have that regulator mechanism. Your body can sense when it has enough and it won't go past that. There's like a threshold. So it's kind of, for a layperson, it's kind of, you, you take a, you take one of these peptides that we're specifically talking about. Um, is it safe for me to say ipamorelin? Yeah. And it's almost like giving, it's almost like a health coach where it's giving your body or your brain a nudge and saying, Hey, it would be a great idea if you made some more of this growth hormone. And generally speaking, the body will agree. Whereas if you were taking bioidentical growth hormone, it would be bypassing the whole, the whole um, system of checks and balances within the body. And whether or not it was a good idea, there's just going to be more growth hormone in the system. Correct. And, you know, okay. that's under the assumption that you're, you're not being. So when, right before we had to take a break, let me make sure I'm recording everything. Yes, yes, yes. Right before we had to take a break, you were, you were talking about how about six years ago, 
you were um, looking at at avenues outside of anabolic steroids to um, uh, improve the musculoskeletal body, and there and you you learned about these these things called peptides, and one of the first ones that was out back then was called sermorelin. And sermorelin was a growth hormone secretogue that while it did effectively um, work on the growth hormone pathway, it had some side effects like spiking cortisol and making you really hungry and causing um, what, what is similar to a histamine reaction at, at like the area of injection that made it not quite ideal. And you said yep. that more recently, um, ipamorelin and CJC, it was a spaceship number. 1295. CJC 1295 were, and I think you'd said something about GHRP. Yeah, were, so yeah, so basically, I guess the, the best way to think about it is Growth hormone is secreted in pulses from the pituitary gland, right? Okay. It goes, it just pulses. Okay. So what these peptides are trying to do is mimic or promote a pulsatile fashion. So you inject it. You have to make sure that you're away from food. You have to make sure you're away from any type of sugar release because of somatostatin or growth hormone inhibiting a protein or peptide. So you don't want to have a counteraction, right? Okay. So it, which goes back to intermittent fasting or, or fasting in general is a natural way to boost IGF-1 or growth hormone, right? Right. Because you don't have growth hormone inhibiting protein or peptide. So it's pretty cool when you like look into it, how you can uh, stimulate the, the pulsatile fashion from the pituitary with these peptide injections, or there's the ways that you can do it from a natural physiology standpoint. And for someone, so, and this gets a little off topic and we don't really need to explore it, but I find very fascinating the difference or the, um, the crossover between doing things to enhance your life for performance and then doing them for longevity, because I don't know where that would fall, but it, it would make sense to me that if one we're trying to optimize growth hormone to a large degree, they could exercise properly, they could intermittent fast, and they could do something like use a peptide. And all of that, right, yeah. would all of that actually be synergistic? It would be. The only reason why you may not want to do these peptides is that naturally, you have an excellent level of IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor. Now, when it comes to testing the efficacy or your baseline of growth hormone, that's how we do it. You know, we don't look at growth hormone itself because of its pulsatile function. You're kind of like throwing darts in the, in the dark room at a dartboard. You don't know where you're throwing them um, by testing randomly, looking at growth hormone. That's why we look at IGF-1. It's more stable. It's more of a long-term indicator of growth hormone status in, in the human subject. So that's why you say that before um, recommending or before uh, a doctor would responsibly prescribe one of these sorts of secretogues, 
you want to look at that on a blood test first to see if there's actually any physiological need because otherwise if you're just pumping in these peptides you might be going to super physiological levels of growth hormone in your body that actually could be deleterious to your longevity. Or not even that, it, it just, okay. it, it's responsible. I mean, if let's say, okay, naturally, let's say you have um, an IGF level of 240 and you're 35 years old, that's an excellent level. Why would you recommend something to increase it more if you're going from a longevity standpoint and a safety standpoint why would you do that? Not only that, but these things are not, they're not cheap, you know? So right. it, it, there's other motives that certain clinics may have to be prescribing these to patients unnecessarily. But the way that we do it is we always have a baseline uh, blood panel and not just an IGF-1, but we're look, looking at many other metabolites such as the liver, such as glucose, um, such as HbA1c, such as estrogen, because estrogen has a, uh, it, it women need more of these peptides because they have higher estrogen levels. So when we're looking at men, they have high estrogen levels, then shouldn't we be addressing that as well to get optimal outcomes? And the reality is, is that on the, uh, I don't know, I'll call it black market, but a lot of people experience experimenting with these types of substances are actually, uh, ultimately kind of abusing their body they is that be. if, if it's they not under doctor supervision and they're, they're under the mindset of more is better. And this thing, you know, I take I'm going to do as many things as I can to make my abs as ripped as possible. They can actually be doing a lot of underlying damage or counteracting one thing's counteracting the other. Well, you know, this coming from a biomechanical perspective is that, you may have these persons or athletes with six pack abs, yet their transversus abdominis is completely weak. They have no core, yet it appears they do. It's an illusion, right? Yes. It's the same with just looking at it from an aesthetic or cosmetic perspective. That doesn't mean that that individual is healthy. Yes. And that that's something that the, the general population, especially people struggling with their self-image or their own health, really need to understand. Just because somebody looks how you might have imagined, just because someone looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger, doesn't mean that they're necessarily the image of health. And what might be the most healthy for you, might like the most healthy for me is not looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's, it's, staying, <laughs> it's staying a lot lower in weight and and that also helps my performance and what I like doing, but I want to be able to live for a long time with a high quality of life. And I understand that if I'm running my engine as hard as I can all of the time, then my engine's going to break down sooner than it would otherwise. Exactly. You got it. Yeah. We just talked about peptides that affect growth hormone. Are there other popular peptides are popular is the wrong word. Are there other peptides that seem to have a place in clinical practice that are floating around right now? Yeah, there's a lot of them. Now in our particular practice, if a CJC 1295 is by far the most popular and most requested, 
Um, however, there is something called Tessa Morellin, T-E-S-A, again with Morellin at the end. Yes, sir. And th yeah, this one is really interesting because it was originally found from HIV patients, believe it or not. So the, the antiretroviral drugs that were being prescribed to HIV patients had a side effect. And that side effect was increased central adiposity, right? What, is that, what does that mean in, in regular Basically, human speak? Like a little pot, pot belly. Got it. Pot belly side effect. Okay? Got it. Deposition of abdominal fat. And, and who likes that? No one, no one wants that. Right. <laughs> you know, sure, it's going to you know, say prolong your life from HIV to AIDS status, but, um, but it's a still, it's still a individuals have, who have HIV are very conscious of how they look. Uh, Absolutely. And that last right. little bit of abdominal fat is a billion dollar industry. It people try people wanting to get rid of it. Myself included. And on top of that, on top of that, the, the central adiposity, a lot, a lot of that is related to the increase in visceral adipose tissue, right? So you have subcutaneous adipose, which is that you know, that little pot belly, belly fat, but the visceral adipose tissue also has a negative health consequence. That's the fat around the organs, fat around the liver, the kidneys, the, the intestines. And, you know, that can cause protrusion of the abdominal wall as well. Okay. And, and that visceral fat is also statistically related to morbidity, right? It is. Okay. Yes. Such as insulin resistance, which leads to type two diabetes hypertriglyceridemia or high triglycerides and metabolic and heart, metabolic syndrome and heart disease. Beautiful. To name a few. So anyways, testimorellin was found to counteract the central adiposity of the HIV antiretroviral drug. So what wow. happens in the world of anti-aging medicine is that they're like, Hmm, can we use that? to help a non-HIV patient or someone who is not taking retroantiviral drug, right? And that's where it found its way into to, um, regenerative and anti-aging medicine. So it works on a very similar mechanism as ipramorelin in the, in the fact that it increases the pulsatile function of growth hormone from the pituitary. It also inhibits somatostatin, but it codes, it has more of a peptide sequence that codes for that central adiposity, abdominal fat, and decreasing triglycerides. That's amazing, Dr. Brady. It's cool, right? It's really cool. Yeah. It's exciting. It, I'm like, I, I kind of nerd out on these things sometimes, you know, but it, it's probably my personal favorite. I, I've, I've used it myself for a short cycle of about two months. And, you know, I did that around the spring, summer months. And I know this is a very significant change, very significant. Keep in mind that it is more expensive than ipramorelin, sermorelin, CJC1295, some of the other peptides, but it is also cheaper than growth hormone itself and safer, in my opinion. A case study example to see if I'm understanding you correctly. So we've, we've talked about four or five different ones, but let's just take the ipamorelin CJC and the tessamorelin. If someone purely wanted to um, reduce lower abdominal fat, maybe 
tesamorelin would be the most effective way to, or an effective way to do that. But if someone was, for instance, looking to improve the integrity of their tendons and ligaments, because of the specificity of where these peptides are acting, tesamorelin would, would be great for that too. Or for example, that's where like an ipamorelin might be more advisable um, for treatment. So it does, tesamorelin does have the side effect of increased protein synthesis. So it will help with the healing aspect. Okay. Um, another great thing about it is that it is clinically shown to decrease C-reactive protein, which is an mm. inflammatory, non-specific inflammatory marker. Um, That's what a lot of got, a lot of doctors, information. a lot of doctors will literally look at CRP to um, as a marker of inflammation, right? Yeah, that's this, a standard marker on my initial wellness panel is high sensitive CRP, which, you know, you're looking at cardiovascular inflammation in the lower numbers, but once it gets above 10, then you're looking at potential systemic inflammation. So it's a really great marker, in my opinion. I like to include that with everyone. Something else that's really cool with tesamorelin is that it is shown to decrease the carotid intima media thickness, which is associated with less atherosclerotic vascular disease or cardiovascular disease. So you can see the, the, the cool thing about these peptides, right? Is sure they have an aesthetic side effect or um, effect in the long run, but they also have these great anti-inflammatory cardiovascular benefits or tendon healing benefits, or in the case of something called BPC-157, we have healing of ulcers so there's a lot of cool things with peptides. It just depends what the patient presents with. BPC-157 is, is a substance that's actually found in the human body. Is that correct? Yeah, it's derived from the gastric juices. And, yeah. what, and that is something that, will, that chemists will... Uh, will make or derive, and then they will actually apply it to different parts of the body, correct? And it, yeah, so you can they find that it, it helps many places, okay? It, yeah, it does. So it depends on the application once again, right? So you've probably um, heard it or researched this, that you know, people will inject it near their elbows if they have tendonitis. Um, so they'll, they'll attempt to actually bring it closer to the local site of irritation or, or pain. Um, but you can also take this orally in a capsular format or liquid drops. And it has more of a gastrointestinal benefit than musculoskeletal. Not only the substance, but the, the method of application can affect uh, right. yeah. how and where it's working. Yes. Yeah. Um, the other good thing that BPC I like it for is in cases of intestinal hyperpermeability, also known as leaky gut. Yes, sir. Or chronic GI insult, because it is shown in some animal studies to regenerate the intestinal epithelium or the lining, right? Which, as we know, is, is directly insulted in leaky gut. Amazing. Our, so that's BPC-157 is definitely one that, that we utilize a lot in our clinic. 
And in terms of healing peptides, another one is thymosin beta-4. Okay. It's also known as TB500. Again, the spaceship names, they sound pretty badass. <laughs> yes. Um, but it just comes down to the molecular structure. And the benefit of this peptide, thymosin beta-4, is that it stimulates T-cell production to support proper immune system function. It increases B-cells, which again are part of the immune system. And from a musculoskeletal perspective, it can moderate cell binding of the actin protein. So you think of actin and myosin, the cross bridges that form out that, uh, yes, exactly, that mitigate or allow muscular contraction. So it helps with that uh, binding of the protein actin, and it helps with wound healing for tendons, ligaments, and muscles. So that so, is... Again, cool that is something that a patient might be interested in for an actual injury, musculoskeletal right. injury. Yeah. And to be honest, we have, or my colleague has devised a stack of these peptides that he prefers and I prefer too for healing of wounds. So one of them being that thymus and beta four, the second being BPC one, five, seven, and the third Ipamorel and CJC-1295, which we have talked about all three. Yes. And the Ipamorel and CJC-1295, you say those together because uh, like the, your practice or a lot of doctors out there find that they work, they work really well synergistically versus just doing, just doing one, like the Sermorelin. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Got exactly. it. What are reasons why people, are there reasons why you might um, dissuade a patient or, or say, or not suggest these types of treatments for people? Um, so one of them, and probably the most important is a history of cancer or active cancer. Okay. And although it is theoretical, like I said before, patient safety is extremely important. So theoretically, if you have active cancer in your body and you increase your growth hormone, it's possible the growth hormone can latch onto the receptor sites of cancer and cause a proliferative growth. And that's a, so that's a, that's a risk with taking bioidentical growth hormone, right? Well, I don't know if there, I would say there's bioidentical growth hormone, but okay. growth hormone in general, yes. Okay. So that's definitely a known risk with growth hormone. And as such, that's why it's a theoretical risk with anything with that could increase your natural growth hormone. Got it. Okay. So, so that's one, that's one that should always be screened out. And, you know, obviously a patient history is very important wherever you go for, if you're interested in these types of peptides. Um, I would strongly caution anyone from buying on bootleg sites or from the gym or from these clinics that just try to, to push these peptides on everyone without really doing a thorough examination in history and lab work. That is a really, really good point. Um, all of the time and money I've spent biohacking, I have often caused myself more problems than I had in the first place. And I have often done, done things that, that um, 
cancel out each other, having no idea because I, I wasn't um, being assisted or treated by someone who actually knew what I was talking about. And I hear, um, especially through the, the emails that come through the longevity, that a lot of people just seem to be experimenting with whatever to just see what will happen. And I don't think that that is a good idea if your goal is true performance or true longevity. It's definitely risky, but, but here's a caveat to, to all these peptides as well, is that they, in my opinion, they haven't been properly studied in, in humans. A lot mm -hmm. of the studies that we read about their benefits are in animal studies and rat studies, or, you know, it, that doesn't always translate to optimal outcomes in humans. And we're really just, in my opinion, at the tip of the iceberg with, with these peptides. They're very, very exciting, but we don't know the true safety profile in the long term. That's why proper medical supervision with testing is of paramount importance. You mentioned that when you do patient intake that you do a, an initial, uh, is the term blood screening? Yes. And your practice obviously has a lot of knowledge and expertise with peptides, but you're also looking from day one at the, the whole person, like their nutrition, where they might be deficient in, in vitamins and minerals, um, all of their hormones, all of that, correct? Like that. Yeah, and, and, and nutrition is a big part of it too. I mean, adequate protein or ad adequate amino acid intake is necessary. Adequate cholesterol is necessary for hormone production. Adequate sleep is extremely important when it comes to growth hormone and IGF-1. In fact, 60% of the growth hormone is pulsed when we sleep. So if a, patient's, if a patient comes in, we, we run labs, and you know they have a low IGF-1, let's say 100 for a 35-year-old, which is pretty low. Um, first thing that we'll ask is, how's your sleep? You know, rather than just go straight to, hey, you need this peptide. Well, first, how's your sleep? Right. What's your diet like? You know, are you consuming alcohol every night? Uh, th there's so many factors that go into this. And, and peptides is just one of the possible routes that we can investigate. And it, it just really bothers me a lot that there are so many clinics out there pushing this without investigating everything and educating the patient about alternatives. So if somebody out there is really legitimately interested in maximizing, as an example, their longevity, and this is just me talking, but I think it's a really good idea to find a, a well-respected doctor who has experience with these things. And while it, you know, it might cost a little bit of money to go have office visits with the doctor, the amount that you're going to save by doing the right protocols and actually addressing the, the deficiencies and so on and so forth that you do need is invaluable and really makes a huge difference in these outcomes. For instance, you might take something that you think is uh, making up for the fact that you don't sleep, but you might have so many issues going on in your life that no matter you know, what you take, it's not going to override your, your chronic lack of rest or your, your chronic malnutrition. Um, 
And uh, hopefully over the next few years, we'll continue to see more of a paradigm shift where people are less and less afraid of going to physicians to take a look at their health and, and more invested in knowing what really is going on with them so they can do the most effective things for themselves. Yeah, and there, there's definitely a massive increase in so-called wellness physicians, right? Like people, these physicians that are frustrated with the, the typical medical model of cookbook medicine of, oh, you have a high TSH, then we'll run a T4. If your T4 is, is low, oh, you have hypothyroidism, let's put you on Synthroid. You know, that, that's a classic example of a cookbook medicine approach. Whereas I was about we know to say, that sounds cookie cutter. It, it is, it's crazy. It, we know we're not defined by two lab tests that, you know, we're not defined by just our thyroid gland. You know, our thyroid gland works in concert with many other organs. So we have to evaluate those as well. Um, so like I said, there's this, this spike in, in wellness physicians that really want to take a more comprehensive evaluation of their patients and, and get to the root cause. And, and that's what functional medicine is or integrative medicine. So you're seeing a lot more of that now. So you are uh, one of the most knowledgeable guys that I know, especially in terms of integrating all of these different disciplines and having a true command of human physiology and biology and chemistry. How, how can people find, find your life, your integrated practice and, and how can they look you up? Well, yeah, it's super simple. You can check out our website, which is vior, V-I-O-R, life.com. Uh, contact information is there. We do, you know, we do some telemedicine. However, the, we were just having a discussion. The laws on that are a little tricky. Um, so we prefer to see Florida patients only. And you can just reach out, email, phone, schedule a consultation, and we'll get you with the right physician at the clinic. 